Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. All right. Hey, it's good to be at church this morning. Uh, my name is Noah. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we're just thrilled to have you this weekend. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on, if you haven't already noticed, and uh We're getting into a really fun season, a season of Christmas, and a season that we're just calling a a season of compassion. And with the season of compassion, we're starting a brand new series called Goodwill Toward Men. And uh, it's all about, we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, all about Christmas and really what it means to us. And so um, I think the best way we could do to this season is to maybe uh, bow our heads, let's pray, and uh, let's ask God to meet us here right where we are. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. God, I pray that you really anoint this season. Lord, we prayed over it as a church for a little while now, but Lord, let our love pour out of us, God, into other people. Lord, let other people who really don't know you come to find you. During this season of compassion, we love you and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. During this season of compassion, we just want to love on our city. And before we get into the message this morning, I just kind of wanted to explain some different ways that maybe you can partner with us. And um, I would love for you just to join us and uh, in this season of compassion. Uh, like Curtis said earlier, we're going to have something called the Compassion Offering. The Compassion Offering is just our way of kick-starting the new year and being able to start some things that we really want to, um, that we really just want to get started. Like, one of them is a youth group. I believe in the young people in our community. And so one of the things that's important to me that we're not doing right now is that we don't have a youth group, and honestly, uh, we don't have the funds to get a youth group started. And so one of the things that we want to do is do stuff like that. There's all kinds of different initiatives. Hopefully in your bulletin this week, you've got a compassion offering pamphlet. Man, I'd love for you to take that home. That is for your information. I love just to give you information because I think the more information I can give you, the more that you can get bought into this vision. And so um, anyway, take that home. Look over those things. Uh, it's all on the website as well on realchurch.info. Just click on that Goodwill Toward Men tab. It's, it's all on there for your convenience. And so I would just love for you to partner with us. We don't talk about giving a lot. Um, just so you know, I, I personally don't like talking about giving. And so giving is kind of an awkward subject in church. But this is the time of the year that um, at the end of the year, if you would just reflect and, uh, and see what you, what you want to give above and beyond your tithes and offerings, um, I'd love for you to partner with us. There's some great things that we're doing. And uh, that just helps us move everything forward. Um, you know, one of them is a baptismal. Something as simple as a baptismal being a startup church. We just need a baptismal, and baptismals cost money. And so, anyway, I would love to baptize people, and uh, and we're going to be able to do that. And uh, it would be really nice to do it right here on the spot. And so, um, anyway, there's just little things like that in the compassion brochure. But one of the things that starts this week that I really want to sell you on this morning is the 12 Days of Kindness. And uh, and this is going to be a really fun a fun little thing that uh, we've just kind of thrown in there that I think so many of you would uh, would be willing to partner with us. It's just 12 days of kindness, and uh, so, and one of the things 
I just want to give you some ideas and, and kind of what we thought about whenever we thought the 12 days of kindness. The first thing that you can do during these 12 days, it's on, it starts this Wednesday, this Wednesday on December 5th. You don't have to show up to anything. Um, in fact, you don't even have to tell us what you're doing. But I just want to encourage you to, to show love to somebody through these 12 days. The first thing that you can do, one way, one thing that you can do during the 12 days of kindness is you can make it your own. I want to encourage you that uh, whatever it might be, maybe you pay for somebody's uh, drink in the Starbucks drive through whenever you head all the way over to Marion or whatever, <laughs> uh, or may, whatever it might be. Um, maybe, maybe you do something nice for somebody. Just, I, I want to encourage you. We've got these little cards here. It says, uh, something extra to show you, uh, to show you God loves you. And, uh, well, you guys can't really see that. Hold on. I think I got something better back here. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> We got a giant card. It looks like this, something extra to show you that God loves you. And then on the back, it just says, and we do too. And so it, we left the back white, and uh, and that's on purpose. Write a little note or something if you've got time. Uh, but we've got a ton of these cards. So take a handful of these cards home with you. And uh, just when you get a chance to do something kind, slip them this card. And, uh, and just so they know that... Uh, God loves them. And so anyway, we would, we would love for you to do that. And there's all kinds of different ideas. I think we got like 20 ideas on the website. So we would love for you to partner with us in that way. The second thing that you can do is that you can sign up for a weekday serving opportunity. We've got a couple weekday serving opportunities for you that if you're available during the week, I know on Wednesday, uh, we're going to the food pantry to serve at the food pantry in the morning. And uh, this coming Saturday, we're actually having a work day right here at the Liberty. And I don't know if you noticed, there's a couple lights out. Actually, half of the lights are out <laughs> on the stage. And uh, that bulb is burnt out. And there's all kinds of little things that we're just going to do. Um, we love to partner with good local organizations. The Liberty Theater is a nonprofit. We're really thankful that we get to use them, uh, use, use this place every week. And uh, anyway, we want to do whatever we can to help them out. And so... This Saturday, we're having a work day starting at 10 a.m. We're just going to be here from 10 to 1. But there's different things that you can go on there and sign up for. I want to encourage you to do that. And the last thing is that you can serve after service. Because we believe in this season of compassion so much that we're actually making an opportunity for you to serve after a service. That way, you know, if I talk about giving one week and you want to put your compassion into action right away... You can do that right away, right after service. In fact, next week, um, and, and the whole family can be involved in this stuff. Next week, we're writing letters um, to the nursing home, to the local nursing home in town. We're just doing some fun, simple stuff. We'll probably have some Christmas cookies and stuff as well. But just plan to stick around after the service for the next two weeks and uh, help us serve. I'd love for you guys to do that. So that's some. that's three different ways for the 12 days of kindness. But this week, we are starting a series called Goodwill Toward Men. Everybody say, Goodwill Toward Men. And uh, this series, why this series? Why in the world would we start a series called Goodwill Toward Men? Well, you see, I think growing up in this part of the world, you basically know the Christmas story. Everybody's heard the story of baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and lying in a manger. We, we've heard the story before, but I believe that we just don't understand the meaning of it. We really don't understand the full meaning and how it impacts us right now. In fact, so many people, when they hear the Christmas story, they just think, why in the world should I care? You know, I, it's great that Jesus came to the world and, and he was born, but, but why should I care? And they just think that it's just Jesus' birthday. But I'm here to challenge you, and over the next couple of weeks, we're talking about 
how Christmas is just more than Jesus' birthday. It's not only Jesus' birthday. There's a big significance to Christmas that we really miss. And to understand that significance, I'm going to do a lot of teaching this week. And uh, I know the last series that we've been in, I I did a topic-based study, but this week is going to be a little bit more teachy. So I've got a lot of scriptures and verses and all kinds of stuff, stuff that I couldn't even fit in your handout this week. Wow, you know, and so uh, there's a lot of scripture that I want to show you. But I promise, if you just hold on, if you if you're all in, if you lean in, you take notes, uh, you'll it's going to make a big deal once we get to the end here. So in order to show you about Christmas, I got to teach you a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. In fact, he prophesied a whole lot about Jesus. If you've heard the book of Isaiah, many of the early church, uh, many of the people in the early church referred to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel. The gospels are all about Jesus and they're in the New Testament, but Isaiah is in the Old Testament, but it talks so much about Jesus that they just said, you know what? It's, it's almost like the fifth gospel. In fact, there's 600 references in the New Testament that go back to the book of Isaiah. 600 references in the New Testament that just quote Isaiah. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. In fact, um, the book of Isaiah was referred to as the fifth gospel. And today, what I want to show you today is that uh, three different Christmas verses, uh, three different really familiar Christmas verses that, that many of you will probably know. And I just want to pull out some meaning and show you why Christmas is so significant and why it matters. I've got three thoughts today. My first thought is this. God is with us. I'm taking notes. God is with us. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Did you know that the word Emmanuel literally means God with us? God with us. You see, this is important because God didn't just stop by for a visit. He didn't just yell down from heaven at us. He became one of us. And it's so important that we understand that. That he didn't just, he didn't just have a parade and come through town and say, here I am, look at me, I am the Lord Almighty God. No, he didn't do that. He became one of us. And it's so important and, and I think we're so familiar with this concept that we miss the significance of God becoming a human. God becoming flesh. In fact, um, I, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about how, I, I don't know if you know this, but um, I, before this I was a youth pastor. And, and something that I learned that as I was a youth pastor is that if, if you want to help, if you want to help someone, you've got to get close to them. You can't just have a surface relationship with somebody and be able to solve all of their problems. If you're in a small group, you probably know this, is that sometimes small groups can get really deep. When you know somebody really well, that's the only time that you can really help them. And I, and I learned this, and I'm still learning this um, on, on the journey that I'm on. I, I learned this. I just I want to show you this. If you want to help hurting people, you have to get close. If you want to help hurting people, you have to get close. You see, when you deal with people who are really hurting, who have significant challenges in their life, you can't help them from a distance. You can't just drive by and help them. In fact, a lot of our culture says that 
you know, we, we, we just write a check to a nice organization and it, and it helps a lot. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you know, it's, it's great to give money to good organizations, but that's not all that we should do. In fact, I think a lot of churches are like this as well. So many churches think nowadays that if we just fill backpacks with supplies and we go and drop them off, then, then it should change. No, 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 no. Filling backpacks with supplies and dropping them off is wonderful, but it doesn't change a whole lot. Do you understand what I'm saying? We got this. We we are in a culture where we just swoop in and we poop out. As a church, I think, I think churches are, are really bad about this. They like to, they like to go into a situation for what, whatever, it might be a day, it might be dropping off supplies, whatever it might be, and they like to go in, but then they pull out real quick. And they're not there for a long time. And so we swoop in, we drop off, and we leave. Can I tell you that if you want to see significant change in a hurting community, you have to be consistent, and you have to be close. If you want to see change, you need to be significant, or you have to be close, and you have to be consistent. You see, the incarnation of Jesus makes a lot more sense when you understand this. God didn't just send a voice or a message to reach us from a distance, but when he wanted to step into our problems, when God wanted to step into the problems of the world, when he wanted to step into this sin, he knew that there was no way it was going to happen from a distance. God couldn't just stay in heaven and take care of our sin. It only happened because he got close. The story of Christmas, Jesus becoming flesh, the only reason he took care of our sin problem was because he got close. In fact, John 1 verse 14, this is out of the message translation, but I think it's beautiful how the message puts it. It says this, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus didn't just stop by. He didn't just make an appearance. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. It's crazy to think about. There's so much significance here that we miss. You see, I'm confident today that I could probably ask for volunteers to go help a hurting community. And I could probably get several of you to go and and we could band together and we could go, we could go help someone that's in a hurting community. But if I would ask you today to sell everything that you have, to give up everything that you've ever worked for, give it all up, liquidate all your assets and go move to a hurting community, I honestly doubt I could find one person to do it. But, you have to understand, that's what Jesus did for us. There's a significance there. If you think about the richest man on earth selling everything that he had and, and moving to the poorest neighborhood, that's not even close to what Jesus did for us. The God of the universe gave up everything that he ever had to come and save you and me. That's the story. Christmas. He didn't just make an appearance. Moved in. Came close. That's the incarnation of Jesus. He moved into the neighborhood. And can I make this point? That if he would be willing to do that, what wouldn't he do to save us? If he would be willing to give up everything that he had, 
What wouldn't he do to save us? Dorothy Sayers, I, I wrote this quote down. Um, she's, she's a famous novelist, and uh, she, she says this, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall and to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he nonetheless has the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He exacts nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, suffered infinite pain. All for us thought it was well worth his while. God of the universe came down, suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it was well worth his while. And see, we're so familiar with the story of Christmas. We're so familiar with the incarnation of Jesus that it's so, it's so big that we can't even grasp it. And when we think about Christmas, we don't put the significance on it that God became human. And this was a crazy idea. In fact, the Greeks back in the day, they thought that it was, it was a crazy thing. In fact, they thought that it would be impossible for God to become human. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And so God is with us. He understands us. And God moved into neighborhood. God is with us. The second point this morning that I want to make is that God is for us. God is for us. You see, the Jewish people, they anticipated a Messiah, a ruler from the line of David. You know, David in the Bible, in the Old Testament, David was a great king in the Bible. And, uh, and, and when David was king, Israel was on top. In fact, many people say that that was the best time Israel ever had, was when King David, he, they were on top of everything. They were the most powerful people. It was the peak of their power. And there's prophecies that come after a ruler who is from a line of the line of David. They talk about the prophecies talk about someone who is like David, someone who would rule forever. They talk about a Messiah. I'm sure many of you have heard of Messiah before. I don't know if you know this, but Messiah is actually a Greek word. Uh, the Greek word is Christos, which is where we get the word Christ. So if you've ever heard Jesus Christ before, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ literally means Messiah. And so everywhere in the Bible where it talks about that there's going to be a ruler come and his name is, is going to be called the Messiah, they're talking about Jesus. You see, the Jewish people, they looked forward to this Messiah. In fact, they pray this prayer, and it's so interesting, the Jewish people still pray this prayer today. Jewish people, if you're Jewish, you're still looking for the Messiah. In fact, they pray this prayer. I'm going to read this to you. It says this, The offspring of your servant David, may you speedily cause to flourish and enhance his glory through your salvation. For we hope for your salvation all day long. The idea here is that there's going to be a ruler from David to be the salvation of the Jews. And and they're, and they're still looking for this person today. They're still looking for the Messiah today. But where in the world did they come up with this Messiah idea? Like, wait, who, who talked about the Messiah idea? Well, the Messiah idea came from Isaiah. 
Isaiah prophesied about the, about the Messiah. He says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot meaning, a shoot meaning a, a new tree basically coming up from a tree that was cut down. And Jesse, if you don't know Jesse, Jesse was just David's family name. So basically the Bible is saying that there's going to be a new person rise up from the family of David. It says, for from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but the righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, the needy, the poor. Who is the Bible talking about here? Well, the Jewish people believe that the Bible is talking about them, that God's going to come down and bring justice for the needy and for the poor. They interpreted it that it was them. Because the Jewish people at the time, they were under the rule of Rome. And Jew, the Jewish people, they wanted liberation over the Gentile army. And they thought that they thought that the Messiah would come down. And the Messiah would be this great military ruler like David. That he would be a king forever, just like David. In fact, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 11.1. 1, it, says, uh, it says, or actually verse 4, he says this. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. You see, they thought the leader was going to be a warrior, basically to take out the people. They thought the, they thought the leader was supposed to, to, to be this military ruler. And in fact, 50 years before Christ, if you go back to the Jewish tradition, Jewish, a Jewish leader wrote this 50 years before Christ came into the sea scene. This is what it says. See, O Lord, and raise up from their king, the son of David, to rule over your servant Israel in the time known to you, O God. Undergird him with the strength to destroy the unrighteous rulers. You see, they wrote this because 10 years before that was written, that prayer was written, a guy named Pompey, a ruler, walked in and basically defiled the temple. If you know anything about the Old Testament and the temple, there was a very sacred place called the Holy of Holies. And this, this leader, this, this ruler, he walked in and basically destroyed everything and walked into the Holy of Holies. And it's said that because he did that, the Jewish people were so upset that they fell on their swords and committed suicide. That's how upset they were. They couldn't bear to see the temple of their God defiled in such a way. And so, and so the Jewish leaders wrote this, and they, and they, it goes on to say this, to purge Jerusalem from Gentiles who trample over her destruction. In wisdom and in righteousness to drive out sinners from the inheritance, to smash arrogance of sinners like a potter's jar. There will be no unrighteousness among them in the days, for all shall be holy, and their king shall be the Lord Messiah. Again, referring back and Messiah. And this is what the Jewish people were hoping for. They were hoping for a leader to wipe out the Gentiles. The Jewish people, all they wanted was a leader to come in and to destroy the evil Gentiles. 
And you might be thinking, I know this is probably long and boring for some of you guys, but it's about to get better, all right? You might be saying, Noah, thanks for the history lesson, but what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, I got, I, I understand the history, but what does it got to do with me? Well, let me ask you, who are the Gentile people? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's what they're referring to. And so the Gentile people, they're talking about you. For the longest time, Jewish people believed that they would come and wipe out everybody else. This Messiah would come and wipe out you. And how you better thank God that he didn't answer their prayers like they prayed them. Because that's not what the Messiah came to do. In fact, the Messiah came in a different way than they ever thought. The Bible records it here in Luke 2. Luke 2 verse 10 says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. It goes on to say later, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, good will toward men. You see, when Jesus showed up, thank God he didn't show up with the sword in his hand ready to wipe all of us out. That would be devastating. Instead, he came to make peace with everyone outside the family of God. He didn't come to wipe you and me out. He came to make peace with every one of us. And that's the story of Christmas. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves to circumcision. If you were uncircumcised, that was kind of that was kind of their trash talk back then, if you don't know that. It goes on to say, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of, of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I tell you, if not for Christmas, This verse talks about that we would be without hope. If not for Christmas, we would be without God. See, we're no longer, because of the blood, Jesus, we're no longer outsiders. We're no longer, we don't have to sit at the kids' table at Thanksgiving anymore. We get to be with the big guys, right? We're no longer the outsiders. We're not the foreigners to the land. We're not the outcasts anymore because of the blood Christ. You see, when God looks at you, He doesn't see some type of foreigner or some type of outcast. Instead, because of, because of the blood of Christ, He sees Jesus. When God looks at you, He sees His Son. Because with Jesus, He made peace. With Jesus, He made peace with you. And that is the God that we serve. You see, our Messiah did not show up to wipe us out. He still fulfilled all the prophecies that we read about in Isaiah. He still fulfilled those prophecies. In fact, um, he struck the earth with the rod of his mouth by his teachings. When he taught, that's him striking the earth with the rod of his mouth. Um, and he did have a kingdom. It just didn't look like what the Jewish people thought. Let me tell you, Jesus does have a kingdom. Here on earth. And I know sometimes it's really hard to believe 
uh, you know, that, that, that Christians, that there's not a lot of Christians out there. But can I tell you this, that Jesus has a big kingdom here on earth. Because three centuries after Jesus was born, the Roman Empire did bow its knee to Jesus, and it did become a Christian nation. And can I tell you that nowadays, there are two billion people on earth who speak 2,000 different languages and live in 238 different countries that do bow their knee to Jesus. He does have a kingdom. And he, it just didn't look like what the Jewish people thought it would look like. With us. And because he was born for us, we can be a part of his family. I wonder if you see now why Christmas is more than just Jesus' birthday. More than that. And the last point I want to make this morning is that God is over us. God is over us. I wonder, do you ever listen? I, I Surely you do. You listen to Christmas songs right in the car. Like now every radio station is like only playing Christmas songs, all right? Do you ever intentionally listen to the lyrics of Christmas music. If you ever really listen to Christmas music, there's some pretty weird songs out there, and they all have some very interesting. I got, I brought this one with me today. Um, in fact, this song, the song I've been listening to, the lyrics are so laughable. Or they're they're really laughable because they're so tragic and depressing. It's like I can't believe this song is a Christmas song. It's called "Do They Know It's Christmas Time." Does anybody know that song? Uh, do they know it's Christmas time? It, it, in 1984, it was wrote by a group named Band-Aid. I don't know if you remember kind of the We Are the World projects. I don't. I had to research it. But I hear I hear these We Are the World projects where they bring all these big singers in, and they they all sing together, and uh, they'd all sing a verse of the song and whatnot. And basically, it was to raise money and to and to be like a nice big feel good moment. And uh, I hear they wrote this song about an African charity, um, and I guess that was kind of like the only thing that, uh, the only charity that people knew about globally, and so there was this African charity they wrote in 1984, they wrote this song for them to raise money, and it's called, Do They Know It's Christmas Time? Um, I want you to see the lyrics here, this is, it's so weird, it's just depressing, let me read it to you, it says this, but say a prayer, pray for the other ones at Christmas time. It's hard, but when you're having fun, there's a world outside your window. And it's a world of dread and fear. Where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. It's pretty strange. And the Christmas bells that ring there are the clanging chimes of doom. This is a Christmas song, everybody. And then, and then this guy, he, he, he rips out at the end and the chorus and, and, and he says this, well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. <laughs> There's your Christmas song, everybody. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Thank God it's them instead of you. Do they know it's Christmas time? And so what is the solution? What is the solution? And and so they go on to sing in the song. That's not the only solution. But they, they go on to sing in the song. They say, uh, the chorus says, so feed the world. Feed the world, everybody. And so um, and so that's that's the solution is is that I, I, I believe this this represents something that I think we really, really miss in our society is that the mainstream cultural idea of Christmas is all about something like this, that at Christmas time, we realize that the world is a dark place. When Christmas comes along, we realize that there's bad things in the world, but if we could all have the spirit of Christmas in our heart, it would make the world a better place. 
And that's the message of so many Christmas songs. And in fact, if you ever watch Hallmark Christmas movies, you know exactly how they're going to start, middle, and end. You know, it's just, it is predictable, but we still watch them. But that's the message of Christmas, that Christmas just makes things better. And that if we could all just hold the season and the spirit of Christmas in our heart forever, that the world would be a better place. Can I tell you that the gospel message of Jesus is both darker and brighter than Christmas. In fact, Scripture says that the world is so dark and you're so messed up that there's nothing you can do to fix it. You're so messed up that you can't do anything to fix it, no matter how much we hold hands, no matter how much we sing beautiful Christmas songs, we can't fix ourselves. In fact, I believe that the last century proves this. Did you know that the last century here on planet Earth it has been the bloodiest century ever? With all the new science and technology and media and whatever it might be, it, it, and all the education, all the financial gain, it was still the bloodiest century ever. You see, we're not fixing ourselves with all of this stuff. People think that if we make something new or if we do something a different way, we're just going to fix it. And I tell you, that's not what fixes things. And our last century proves it. In fact, Scripture shows us this. Scripture says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep, darkness, a light has dawned. You see, we're so broken that nothing we can do can fix ourselves. But can I tell you, that that's actually hopeful. Because if we could fix ourselves, if, if not, we would have to fix it all on our own. And can I tell you, I don't think there's a solution to crazy things that happen in the world. I don't think we can fix some of these crazy things in the world. Like mass shootings. How am I supposed to fix that? How is any government supposed to fix something like that? It doesn't happen. By human hands. We, we've tried to fix it. We've tried to get rid of different things, but we just can't fix it. In fact, if it was up to me to try to fix some of these big cultural ideas, there would be no hope. <laughs> if it was just up to a man to do it, there is no hope. And can I tell you, that's why I think atheists live the way that they do. There's no hope for them in the world. Like if you can't look to God, then who do you look to? You, there's, I don't know how you could do it and live with no hope. But if you're someone like that, you just agree that there's no hope. But Scripture says that there's a great light that comes. In fact, here's a familiar Christmas verse for you. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and they, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatest of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here's, here's my last two things real quick. Here's the truth of the gospel. If you want to boil the gospel, if you want to boil the word of God down to two different things, I think you can boil it down to this. This is what it says. You cannot save yourself. Nothing you can do. You cannot save yourself. The world is broken, and whatever you do, you can't do it good enough. But here's the hopeful part, is that you have been saved. You cannot save yourself, but you have been saved. 
And it's because of the story of Christmas. It's what the story of Christmas tells us is that we are saved and we should be excited about it. We should be thankful that Christmas is not just Jesus's birthday, but we've been saved and we've been brought near to God because he came in flesh. He saved us. In fact, I want to end this morning by reading you a quote from uh, Tim Keller. He's a great Christian author. If you're looking for books, read some Tim Keller books. Um, Tim Keller, he says this, it's almost too limiting to say that we celebrate this Christmas. We stare dumbstruck, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Do you want to know where you stand with God? I want to challenge you to read that. When you realize what you've done, when you realize that you're hopeless, you're a hopeless sinner that can't save yourself, when you look at Christmas and the story of Jesus, you should stare dumbstruck, lost in wonder, love, and praise. And can I tell you that if you don't do that already, I would challenge you and say that maybe you haven't met the real Jesus yet. Because when you meet Jesus and when you understand what he did for you, you can take a step back and think, my God, what have you done for me? Why do I deserve such grace and mercy? Can I tell you that I don't? I don't deserve it. But God, with his grace and mercy, has chosen to include us and give us his promises. How did he do it? How did he do it? By the blood of Jesus. The costly blood of Jesus. We're able to receive his promises. 